Hey guys, welcome to Razor Riffs. Uh, this is part two of the interview with Mike Starr. We just had a blast, so we went over the limit. I thought I'd release it in two parts so it could be more enjoyable for you guys. Also, if you uh, listen to part one, you see how enjoyable it is. It gets right back into it. Uh, so yeah, uh, don't forget to subscribe, brain review, book me on Cameo, and my special still out. A couple dates. Uh, I'll be at the Rec Room July 3rd with Pablo Francisco. Tickets are almost sold out. Then I'll be at the Rec Room again with Daft Fam August 7th. And then August 14th with the Wet Rec Room with Hal Sparks. So buy your tickets, www.recroomhb.com. Enjoy the show. We also are probably going to do a live at the Rec Room Razor Riffs podcast with Pablo on July 3rd. I think tickets will be 15 bucks. So buy your tickets and support. All right, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of the interview with Mike Starr and uh, book him on Cameo. I booked him. It's really worth it. All right, guys. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. I got a podcast one time and I was uh, telling a story about being on Ed Wood and I I told the story and I said, oh, that might come off a little weird. Can you do me? And I called the guy back like three times. Would you make sure you took that out? Because that could be taken wrong. We in the wardrobe guy and, and Johnny Depp, because Johnny Depp was so great. Oh, was this was, the one where you said that uh, you purposely avoided calling him or something? Or uh, he gave you his number and you just... I oh, don't no, know. no, no, no. Now I'm trying to think that that was another one. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I like to do my research because I don't like to ask the same questions. So I like to listen to a lot of interviews, you know, before. Because I feel like when people ask the same questions, it's just kind of like I feel my like I like to have a special one-on-one. -on -one yes, yes. Well, you got me. I have to tell you, one of the only people that I froze, I froze up in front of two people. Gene Hackman complimented me once, the great actor. He was one of my idols. Is one of my idols, but uh, I asked him to do this. Really? Yeah, he they might be very shy. No, they they said he's retired and he's not yeah, in yeah. good health. And I said, well, this is a oh, perfect is that right? time. That's what I said. And I said, this I is a perfect time because he might die. Like yeah, I'll never I'll never interview him if he dies. No, you make a very good point. You know, Gene uh, Hackman, I believe, was it right around the end of World War II. I mean, he's old enough to have been that, you know. And he, I know he retired. He used to go eat at my friend's place in Burbank. And I was on the movie um, Birdcage with Nathan Lane. And I was cut out, and there was a good reason I was cut out. It was a, I did a dramatic scene with Robin Williams, and Mike Nichols, the director, wrote me a beautiful letter. But he felt it had taken away from the um, comedy. And that's the story I can tell you. If I find the uh, letter, I could show you. But but Gene came up to me and told me he liked my work on The Bodyguard. And I was like, this was my guy. But that you make a good point. I He's such a story. But I think, I can't remember now, 
what they call China Marines. I think that was right before around Korea or like that. I mean, he, so he's got to be up in years, you know? Yeah. Um, he's probably 89, 90, maybe. He's pretty. Well, yeah. it's good if you look at it, Robert Duval, I believe, just turned 90. I get to work with him. You you see these guys, Dustin, and even Dustin, I'm not sure how old Dustin is, but you see these guys all lived like in the village together. You find out later on. They all came to New York and they studied with, you know, New York acting teachers and they struggled together. And you find out they were all like uh, some of these real famous big time, they go, Hollywood actors. No, had really made their bones in New York, you know. And uh, But you know who I froze in front of? And I wanted to tell him so bad, specific stuff, and I should have. I was, Nathan Lane had a 50th birthday party, and we were doing The Odd Couple. And you cannot believe the list of people there. Neil Simon, always Mel Brooks, and Joanne oh. said, go up and say hello to him. And I went, hi, uh, this is my wife, the doctor, something like that. And he said, how do you come here? I said, I'm doing it. And I wanted to tell him so bad that he had such an influence on me when I was a kid. My brothers would let me watch. If you ever look up show up shows, uh -huh. you can see some clips from it. But the list of writers on it, Woody Allen, Carl Reiner. Woody, I mean, these people formed American comedy, you know? Yeah. And a lot of, like... Uh, lack of a better, you know, term, you know, just like Brooklyn Jewish guys that had a serious culture in New York or the Lower East Side that influenced that people don't realize. I tell people, you don't even realize how much even Broadway theater was. They did a special on PBS about, uh, again, and I don't make it as a religion, it's a cultural thing, you know, about uh, certain writers who snuck in seemingly, uh, puffy musicals but they 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 snuck in real serious moral messages and a lot of them happen to be of uh, i say culturally jewish uh background from brooklyn and new york and here's mel brooks who influenced my life and he used to he used to say uh, i remember he was interviewed one time and i wanted to tell him this he said that the only immigrants who spoke uh brooklyn was a very different world then the only immigrants who spoke english only European immigrants were the Irish. So Mel Brooks said, you had all these, uh, you had all these Jewish kids running around talking like Jimmy Cagney, because we learned English from the Irish, you know, and it was such a great thing. Hey, Ma, listen to me, Ma. Jimmy Cag, James Cagney, the famous Irish-American actor who was, you know, uh, he was, no, I got to meet him at least and say something to him because I worked on his last job. And I know what you mean about wanting to talk to people before they die. Yeah. But, uh, he might, you know, sometimes people, when they look a certain way or they, um, their voice may not, they don't want to be in the public eye. I, I can't speak for Gene, but he was shy to begin with. But Mel Brooks, I wanted to tell him, there's a Woody Allen movie called Radio Days. And the opening, Paulie Herman and I play these guys who rob a house. It was mm -hmm. like an urban myth in the dark. And... You cut, they get a phone call, and I answer it like an idiot, and you cut back, <laughs> and you see this great thing in Woody Allen, the Radio City Music Hall, it's the 40s, and it says, Mr. Needleman, you've been chosen on Name That Tune, or whatever, right? And yeah. I answer it, and we actually start naming the tunes. But one of the songs was, 
dancing in the dark. And I started singing it like that dance, dancing in the dark. And I'm singing it like that because Mel Brooks said up in the, uh, in the mountains, we call it, you know, Catskills. Um, he said, uh, when all the comedians were there, he said there was always an old guy and he was on Johnny Carson who would sing dancing in the dark and stand up on the couch. And I wanted to tell him that story that I got to sing that. And it was a bit, and I should have, I, it's, I have very few regrets because just what you say, I didn't want to say the normal stuff. Hey, I like this. Hey, I like, you know, blazing yeah. saddles. Oh, you're funny. And, you know, and, uh, I grew up in this neighborhood or whatever. I knew people from Brooklyn, you know, I, and that's, that's, uh, that's why I'm glad you picked very specific things. And here I go. I've had two cups of tea and I'm, I'm talking like a mile a minute. This is fun, though. But, like, the reason why, like, I, I have a podcast because I do stand-up comedy. And, actually, my mentor, who I open for, Norm MacDonald, uh, who loves Wait, now, you know, no, I've met him once. He, he's, the, he's the person you're doing a cameo for for Father's Day for him. Oh, you've so. got to be kidding. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, he is one of the all-time favorites. My friend Gary, who was on the Carson Show, who's an iconic bartender, a famous bartender, you know, what they say a celebrity bartender, you know, for 40 years up in L.A., in Burbank. He and I will play Norm McDonald's, and there's no one like him. And my friend Brad Isaacs, who wrote a lot of big shows like News Radio, this and that, and uh, Gary Sherman. Drake Sather, too. He, he wrote for News Radio. Ah, okay. I Because I did an episode of that, and Joe Rogan, I know for years, and this and that. But... Norm, he he told Norm, you got to do a sports show. And Norm um, did it, one of the greatest sports shows, and I don't know how it didn't last because he's got he – Sports is like, show with Norm McDonald, Comedy Central, 2011, right? That sounds right, yeah. yeah. And we loved it. We watched it religiously. And, God, I don't know what – this would be a very special thing. To, I mean, they're all special, but – I got requested sometimes by people from my neighborhood. And I said, oh, you should have just called me. But I got I got um, requested. A young guy said, my dad, I don't know if you'll remember him. And he was producing. He's producing now. But he was an electrician, a lighting guy. And the guy was always great to me. And I said, oh, how do I do this without sound like I'm pandering or looking for a job? And I put it off. And I finally just spoke from the heart. And I just talked about one of my friends who had passed away, who I met him through, was a crazy cockney guy. who was just one of my best friends in the world. And uh, he was super healthy until his, like, uh, mid-80s. And then he, he had gotten a cancer thing. But he was just, I learned so much, and he helped me out so much back in the day. I had, I had big relations with um, crew guys and teams. <laughs> it sounds crazy, you yeah. know, but... but uh, because a lot of them were neighborhood guys or I met through Smitty. And and um, I did this, and I finally just did the cameo. It lasted, like, I think 15 minutes. It was so, so absurd. And I said, <laughs> you know, we were in Vermont together on Funny Pop. And I remember, and he had uh, talked to me because it was a real partying world in those days. I'm, it might still be but on the, in the closet, but it was like people were drinking. And then, of course, in the... 80s, I know, I'm not saying he did, but there were people, cocaine. and I remember him, he had, um, I remember talking to him one day and in the hot tub about how he didn't do things, you know, and how important it was to stay healthy and not, 
go off the deep end as so many people did. Uh, and, you know, drinking was so drinking, excessive drinking was like at a time, I don't know what the world's like now, but it was an accepted thing with even actors, you know, Anthony Hopkins, I'm not an AA or anything like that, but Anthony Hopkins uh, has done so many wonderful things because his era, people were hammered on stage. And he's right. done a lot of wonderful things for people. He's been active in, I think, AA for like 30-something years, 40 years. But uh, Did you uh, see his new film, The Father? I, it's a hard thing for me to watch. I'm sorry, because there's oh. things in my life now and uh, with different people. And I will it watch fantastic. it. fantastic. Like, well, I will watch wow. it as a tech, only for interest and, and respect but i tend to not watch especially with the things my wife see but i have relations with people that i tend not to watch things that go like this you know yeah. i'm a comic guy and and i will watch it but what i was saying is i finally did it and i went oh i hope i did that right but i just focused as sincerely as i could i got a message this was my dad's greatest birthday present ever I went, wow wow and then, uh, and he said, it was great. And I'm so hearing from you. And the guy did like a big monologue on Cameo about my career and about this is why he's one of the greats. And I'm like, oh God, no. And, and special <laughs> and look up his life and this and that and great guy and this and that. But it was funny. It paid off. And I don't mean it narcissistic or self-centered to say that, but it meant a lot to me that it came out right. This one will be very challenging because I met him. Norm had a series, and they flew me all the way back. I did not want to come back. I said, I'm not right for the character. And could you imagine who was uh, there? It was um, the three of us that made it down the network. None of us got the part because it was supposed to be a nerdy guy, and Norm was a um, ex-hockey player. And I knew that. I said, no, I'm wrong for it. He said, no, they want to fly you back. They want to do this. I said, oh, I'm on the East Coast. I got a friend. But my, my wife's there with, with the family. And can you imagine I'm saying that? I need the job, but I knew that we were wrong. And Craig Ferguson, you know, the guy who had the late night show? Yeah, he has a snake cup, yeah. Yes. Well, he was there. He was just kind of beginning in the States. He had been honored, at, you know, won all these awards, I guess, in the UK or whatever. Myself and Fred, um, oh, God. Oh, I apologize for names, uh, he was in Best in Show. He was on so many shows. Uh, he just passed away about a year ago. He would come on. Fred, Fred Willard. On. Fred Willard, right? The three of us were there. Now, these two guys were phenomenal. Three of us were there, and we had to go read with Norm. None of us were right from it, but Norm was so cool. And I said, I hope I see you someday. And none of us got it, and I, I knew we were wrong for it. And But, you know, they they... They make you sign all these things. You're going to make all this money. You're going to do all this stuff. And you say, and Fred Willard is like, well, he was one of the uh, superstars. Great. And look at Craig Ferguson, what happened with him. And they were just so cool to be with. And we just knew if any, if anything, maybe Fred could have made it work. But it, I knew what they were looking for, a cliched, like, nerd. And I'm, I'm telling the agent, we're wrong. I'm telling you, we're wrong. I'm wrong for this. Yeah. Please. You know, well, I said he he loves you very much. He actually was pro probably going to co-host this episode, but he couldn't do ten. Oh, so all right, so I don't have to preach myself. He couldn't do what? <laughs> yeah, he wanted to because I usually have a co-host, but he's like at work, so I asked Norm if he wanted to step in and co-host, and he wanted to, but I thought he loves you like very much. You're one of his oh, heroes. Oh, great! 
you know, Kevin Pollack had a um, had a, uh, the first, I think, live podcast or something like that out of California. And uh, I had worked with his co-host, his friend, and I said, I'd love to do it. <laughs> and this was about five years ago, and I had detached retina surgery, you know. Uh, oh, God, I don't know if I want that on the podcast. Yeah. Boy, <laughs> if, you have, if you have anything in this world, you know, oh, my God, we can't hire him. He's sick. He's like, no, I had this thing that fighters and different people get and regular people get, but I couldn't do it for the longest time. And then it just kind of drifted away. And I always felt bad that I didn't do the show. So I'm so glad that I just went, yeah, just get off your ass and do this today. Oh, so I do this for Norm. It's got to be before Father's Day. Okay. I'm yeah. like, after this, I'm going to like literally book it right now and hopefully I could get it today. So like, yeah. Uh... I wish I could just do it for free for you or something like that. I just no, I want I want to support you. So that's like, cool. Yeah, yeah. And you're I, doing I, you're doing an interview for me. Like I, I want to support you, and you know it'll mean a lot to him. So like it, it'll mean a lot to me too. <laughs> uh, but I I do want to respect your time. But I do have three oh, questions. Please, no, I got I don't do anything for another. I can't even tell what time it is. It's eleven o'clock. Oh. I start yapping. No, please. Uh, as long as you have time, I have time. I'm not doing anything for another two or three hours. Uh, okay. I'll get news. I, by the way, all this walking. One of the things. I mean, I've one of the reasons I've felt so much super healthier. And uh, I, I'll tell one. Oh God, no, this will be on. It'll sound self-serve, but I, I'm like, I feel the best I've felt in like 20 years. Getting back into old things when I was, you know doing that and it's funny how things can get away from me like dumb and dumb i look at that i said how the hell did i gain so much weight so fast you know it's like i look at it and go oh shit but uh i'd go through periods i'd be watching kids this and that and i would eat mindlessly you know i wasn't like i was a, i wasn't a falling down drunk but i would whatever i consumed a lot of times and one of the great things is i walk a lot and i become one of those it's not like you know i'm not timing you know and uh it's just like a natural thing that I, oh, I've got to walk to, uh, well, I got to go to Home Depot. People say, you walked all the way there. I said, it's only a couple of miles. So I'll stop, go to another place. Oh, hang out in Barnes and Noble a bit. Oh, I got to get something at Office Depot. And I turn around and I've walked like six miles. So um, before the pandemic, I used to do that too, because I'm, I'm kind of on the overweight side. But before I was like walking, losing weight. <coughs> And then when the pandemic happened, there was no place to go because everything was closed. So I kind of got overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, what I did was I just started walking, finding new areas around here. And then maybe would, yeah, when the pandemic was, when it was really restricted, I would maybe go into a store. I was so crazy. Grab something quick, buy something. <laughs> and my wife didn't want me going anywhere. And I would come back. And go right into the shower downstairs. I take off everything, put it in the washing machine, you know, all that stuff. Wipe down this and wash the mask. And but I just found myself the in the beginning. I said I got to actually because of my age and everything. I'm going. Oh, they're looking about all the risk factors, weight, this and that. And I trained. I my wife got me a Nordic track, so that made a big difference. And uh, light, which I, but I trained and I used to do a lot of things, so martial arts, whatever. And I. Things came back to me, but I found myself, um, not that I'm any master of any of these things, but I found myself in the beginning trying to do it and then becoming 
quite hooked on it. You know yeah. what I mean? So, and that's what it, it takes, but that's the whole thing. If you had no, you weren't allowed to go to places, it was a pain. And I, I found places I didn't know exist around here. And there's some really great trees. And, and I was walking, I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> Where is that, you know? So that's a big thing. I think it helps with anxiety. I, uh, and I, I, I personally, cause you know, I, I work at a grocery store. Like I wasn't scared of getting it. What I was scared was bringing oh, wow. it home to someone yes. of my family. Yes. Getting it. So That's I think like have anyone here. Yeah. So like, that was my biggest fear because, you know, I love my mom very much and she got that. it, you know, uh, like my grandma got it and, you know, she survived. So that sucked. But <laughs> you know my wife would come back and there was one time she thought there was someone i don't know we like separate not separated i mean married, <laughs> but different places and we kept a mask on and then she was tested she was okay but there was like you said some some people around her and that was a, a, a that's why she was so careful about me and i i was careful about Oh, if I go into a store and pick something up or whatever, or a bank or whatever, you know, and then you come back. And in the beginning, I would wear scarves, you know, and, you know, you found out that you had to wear a mask. But, you know, people would yell things. Hey, in the beginning, they all thought they were original. Watch out. That guy's wearing a mask, you know, whatever scarf. You know, I thought it was funny. Yeah. You've had things in Huntington. I was just talking about Huntington Beach. That's kind of a controversial did, did area. Did you see the well? There was like, like two weeks ago, a... I'm so sorry, but no, tell me. No, I'm into this. It was I like two, two weeks ago, like a a gray well. I forgot how it was huge though, but like it like it swam up on the beach. Wait, that I didn't know. I was hearing things. Um, the because we would go down to uh, Crystal Cove, and there was a gigantic like football fish that's like lives in thousands of feet of water showed up on the on the shore. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and we used to go down to watch the dolphins and we'd actually go to Hawaii at a special time to go whale watching. And, uh, oh my God. So it washed up. I yeah. They're, they're saying like a ship hit it in San Clemente or something. I don't, I don't know the whole story, but basically, I'll look it up. yeah, but basically a whale just showed up in Huntington beach overnight. And like, like everyone was scared cause like it stank and they thought like the, the odor would like kill them or something. It was a, it was big. It was the talk of the town for like two wow. days. Yeah, I bet. Way then, uh, man, I gotta, I gotta look that up now because I try to stay on top of that stuff. You know, again, I'm gonna quote Seinfeld, but there was a great episode where the whale, whale is be he said George saves a beach whale. He's making believe he's a marine biologist. It's one of you should just watch that one because it's one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And Larry David threw a couple of lines in where I lost it, but uh. It's gotten to the point they make T-shirts because there's a talk. Because what, what I love about Seinfeld that people a lot of times don't get from other generations. It's like Larry David doesn't care about who gets things sometimes. There's so many hidden things like styles from 40 movies and references. References to contemporary movies that I explain to my nephews. They go, oh, I didn't know that. Because they love it. They watch it. They watch the DVDs. I said, now here... This is a reference to that movie, The Marathon Man. And oh, really? Said so this is a reference to, to a famous Arthur Miller play, you know. And really, really. And anyway, he there's a T-shirt that 
uh, George has a line. The singer was angry that day, my friends, like an old man sending soup back in a deli, right? Well, my my brother-in-law just sent that to me, that T-shirt, the uh, name. But but what happened was that um, uh, we went to Maui, and there was this, like, environmental group that has these tours, you know? And we're going out on the water. And I said, you probably don't know this, but, um, you know, it's a Seinfeld episode. The guy, the young guy started doing this. He was angry that day, my friends. Like an old man sending soup back in the deli. I went, holy Christ. Because we uh, were sick. My mom just texted me, and she really wants me to ask you this question. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read it. i got plenty of time. Okay. I'm a pain ask, in the ass. Ask Mike in the movie Making a Killing when you dropped the nail in the bathtub. Sub, was that a nail clipper in the bathtub? Was that a character choice or your choice? Oh, that was my choice. Oh, God. this is I can answer if you want. I can answer what happened. Yeah, yeah. That movie was good. My friend Devin who uh, lives in the Big Island, Hawaii, is originally from New Jersey. He's a fa- he looks like Johnny Depp or Brando. Him and his wife live there. He is an underwater guy. He saves manta rays and this and that. He wanted to make something different. Unfortunately, he left out, because he thought people wouldn't believe it, three or four great stories, because it was based on a real story. And he thought people wouldn't believe it. I said, no, that's what makes the difference between that and the Cohen brothers, you know? Do something quirky, outrageous, take a chance. And they also edited out and he regretted it. They listened to some guy and who the hell knows, but they listened to some editor. There was a big scene where me and my, you don't know, my partner, whatever, brother, whatever it's supposed to be, I collapse after I'm like speaking. I'm the mayor in the town, the mortician. It's really an interesting story. And I collapse against the fence with heart trouble. And it's a whole heavy scene and crew and everybody said, oh, that's going to be great. And someone convinced them to take it out. And it doesn't explain. It doesn't, they didn't build up enough because of the editing, some of it, why that I was ready to die there. So, oh boy. So the day of, Devin says to me, you know, there's so many famous things, Godfather, uh, uh, Hitchcock, there's so many famous deaths where they do things. What can we do to make this different? When we started thinking, hey, okay, God, this is something weird to tell you publicly, but um, if you don't want to do it, don't worry about it. I mean, uh, I do want to know. It's very important. But I, oh, okay, all right. Uh, um, maybe I can tell you private. No, it's I, well. Tell me when we get lunch. I'll tell you. Okay. But it was basically an homage, part of it was an homage to my, my brother Jimmy survived so much in Vietnam and uh, about, it was about five years ago, he was having health, he was collecting things connected with Agent Orange, he was one of the most intense, he was one of the most interesting, kindest, generous people and lived in a lot of different worlds and cultures, I'd love to tell you about him, he was really interesting, but I was blessed through crazy ways because I went to a few, I flew back. I got to be there when, as people say, he passed on. And I got to, I was so lucky to be with him. We were so close because for years I was flying back. We'd watch things on Memorial Day. We'd, he had such a unique sense of humor and we watched things on Veterans Day, visit him, you know, and he was 
he didn't wear that on his sleeve. I don't want to make that. He, he lived in so many different worlds and had this real, real streetwise guy, fascinating guy. But at the, I might as well tell this, at, you know, because it is an important thing. That, uh, that, that day, it was so strange the last few days. Different things happened. Billy Bob Thornton, I'm staying with my oldest brother. Billy Bob Thornton asked me if I'll come if I'll do this bad Santa too, he calls me. I said, Jesus Christ. And I'm like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wound up doing it a couple of weeks later, um, Montreal, but my different things were happening. My brother was seeing things and just really, really vibrant. And then he was getting sick the last couple of days. And I went there. So I had to stick around for an audition. It was Martin Luther King day. I remember. And there's a lot of stories I'll tell you personally, but at one point he asked me to cut his nails and I'm like, I was too nervous. And the West Indians are the best caregivers on earth. It was in a uh, more of a, a home rehab place for kidneys, this and that. It wasn't, they didn't have all sorts of medical staff there. And I was like, it was so funny. I was cutting, he wanted me to cut his nails. It was the strangest thing. So my friend Esther, one of my best friends in the world, and uh, her mom was a survivor, but Although Esther's not orthodox, she said, that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm not sure, but just that, but she would, um, she told me, she said, in certain, I guess, orthodox communities, they, they might have a strange word, they cut the nails. Mm -hmm. After, after uh, that, they cut the nails and they bring in a person. I don't know if the person, if it has the sheets, but I think it's a, a stranger comes in and prepares the body, if I can put it that way. Right such an odd thing and my character was a mortician and i talked to this guy he had dealt with a lot of people in the persian gulf the, we were in a town called las vegas new mexico where the cohen brothers filmed are we running out of time oh I'm no sorry. my my sister oh okay she didn't know i was on the podcast ah so Devin said you told me this story about your brother and the nails and about when esther had told me this this uh interesting story um i had told it to Devin because it was re really weird my brother out of nowhere just and he couldn't even speak the last day and not like he was suffering or anything but something happened with his voice and i said wow we're watching like old shows together and this and that and i said okay and then finally um this woman um i believe she was jamaican said jimmy wants you to cut his nails i said i know but i was just so nervous because they take the blood thinners i was afraid i was going to clip it she said, I'll do it, Jimmy, it's okay. And then literally like 10 minutes later, they called me and he was going away. I called my wife and she said, is there a pulse, you know, say goodbye. And we definitely made the choice not to do DNR because it would have been very uh, tortuous as I'll tell you different friends I knew. So she said, say goodbye. My wife really is very philosophical. She, she goes to the end with people, but also even way back in med school was constantly educating herself on that and has dealt with so much. That's a great story. I'll tell you about her that was told so many great stories, but I got to be there and just sit and just say the light and was so peaceful. It was such actually a great ending and a blessing. And I told the story to Devin, the director, and he said, would you mind if we incorporated that somehow? I don't want to abuse. It. I said, no, actually it'd be a great homage to my brother. Oh, and so I, sweet. and the, Peter, the DP, was absolutely super brilliant. And what we did, 
we, he had me prepare myself. And, you know, spoiler alert for anyone, but he had me look and they really made me to make me kind of, you know, and look in, you know, and sweating and look in the mirror and step into the bathtub with my clothes on and my, my shirt and my pants sit there and start cutting my nails. And he took this great shot. I get to two nails as I did right to three. And then it just drops in the water. And, uh, remember the, but there was blood. I think I can't remember, but it just drops in. And then I go limp and my partner, brother, lover, whatever is supposed to be friend, you know, comes running back in after we had this big argument, he runs through the rainstorm, uh, played by Jude Moran, who was absolutely brilliant. And he comes in and finds me dead. He blew his chance, right? Aida Totoro was in it. He runs off with her, you know, and then uh, we have this, you know, fight and just like, and I'm dying there, you know, and, and it just dropped. And it was a beautiful shot. And I think- Christopher had, Lloyd was in it too. Oh, he was, oh man. It was like 78 when we were doing it. And he got one word wrong. He apologized to me. I said, are you serious? And that was my first day of shooting. It was with him. We had this really great scene. And he was just always very complimentary. And like I said, if Devin had put in a couple of the stories, he knows that now. It was his first film, first feature, really. Had he put in, I think, that, um, the explanations of scenes. It was scenes, had he not cut out a few things. There were things that my character and Christopher Lloyd, we were both morticians in it. Mm -hmm. And I was the mayor, and what else was I? It was uh, some third thing I did. I you were the priest, too, right? Oh, I was a priest. I started my own church. That's right. Yeah. And it was really wacky, and they cut out some of the priest stuff. And again, he listened, in my opinion, and I hope the editors and hear this and say how, how I felt it. But it was a good film. It was a solid film. But it could have been, I mean, we have Michael Jai White also. It could have been a boom film. Right. I if, um, if he had uh, really just listened to his own instincts in the writing and the editing, and he knows that now, it's not like I'm not trashing. We've discussed this, and well, he's a huge Razor Riffs fan. His uh, <laughs> Devin, I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> no, I'm just, uh, but uh, no. I do, I do have a, a funny Christopher Lloyd story that I think you'll okay. laugh. So I actually met Christopher Lloyd, like. 10 years ago maybe 15 years ago and it was in a bathroom because he was he was on the fox lot he was filming a show or something so i'm i'm peeing right next to christopher lloyd there's always and, great stories like that yeah <laughs> and i'm just i'm just like looking at him weird right and it, like he's giving me like a weird look i was like i'm sure you get asked this all the time but are you christopher lloyd <laughs> and he's like yeah i was like oh I have a question for you. And we're still peeing, right? So it's really awkward. I was like, and who framed Roger Rabbit when you put the cartoon shoe in the dip? Why'd you do that? What'd that shoe ever do to you? And, <laughs> and he just looked at me. He's like, I'm very sorry. And then he laughed and I'm still peeing. I was like, why did I ask Christopher Lloyd that? <laughs> that is brilliant. I ended up working with him on shows that didn't go or being canceled. And he'd always be like, he'd just look at me like, like that, right? He, it's like De Niro would do that too. But I mean, he'd look at like, you know, and we would talk a little. 
but that was it. And now finally we get on this one. We, we actually had human conversations, you know, and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he was very, very interesting guy. And when we did that, I know the makeup artist, um, Janine got very close with him and he st uh, started having her like come do certain jobs for him in New York and whatnot, you know? And, uh, he's, he was really something. And there was a thing they cut out a lot of it. I do this whole, uh, lecture or homily or whatever at the church. And it made, didn't make sense a lot of things. He came over to me and he went, yeah, yeah. And they, it was weird. There was a couple of scenes cut out between me and Jude for whatever reason, whoever controlled it, that I think would have made a big difference. Yeah. It was, but I don't know when you see the film, one of our favorite scenes was our, um, we had this conversation after the murder, the death, you know, and we go, we're talking about how to, no, no, no. Cause we weren't necessarily, you didn't know who the killers were. And this story was based on, I think a story in Colorado and someone finally got convicted. I don't know one of the characters, but it's really, uh, if he uh, got stuck more to the story, because I got interviewed, I, I, did, I did it yesterday, Kenosha, Wisconsin. These people asked me, this guy always has some sarcastic or something. He says, come on, really? You were this and that, your character, that's really stretching the imagination. I said, well, it was based on something that happened. And I went back to Devin and I said, you imagine that he said that to me? He said, how much did I do? He said, that and your character smoked pot with Christopher Lloyd's character and you did this. I said, why wasn't that enough? movie he goes i didn't think people would believe it look this guy didn't believe the uh, real stuff already right i said well the hell with that you gotta do what you gotta do so it was a big lesson to he and i it was a lesson for me because i'm involved in some projects and i i'm one of the projects i'm involved in this guy said we're doing our story and if they don't like it here in the places i'm pitching i'm taking it to europe because it's an international story i said yeah absolutely i said because I was on a film and that he saw, I said, I was on a film where I saw that it didn't. Yeah, you see things sometimes that cut out. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And I've been kept in famous movies. And I've even in some famous movies where I was asked to ad-lib something that maybe went a second too long. And they regret it. Like uh, I heard that, like Martin Scorsese said, oh, he wanted that other scene, but he laughed so much. But it didn't fit in with the editing of the next scene. You know, it was a second too long. It made it to like four cuts, you know. But then you take something like uh, I had mentioned before, the dramatic scene with Robin Williams, and it just didn't work for what he wanted to do. He wanted to, and then his partner, Elaine May, his former wife, said, and he said, and she was right. And I said, yeah, he was right. And he wrote this beautiful letter to me, Mike Nichols. But it's funny what's left in, what works, what yeah. doesn't, you know. Well, we are running out of time, but I did want to ask this one last question uh, because um, I like the ladies, but, uh, you know, this is my my hero. And I don't like asking uh, questions about what was it like working with someone, but I'm going to. Sure. I'm going to. Uh, I mean, I'm like, I'm obsessed with John Cusack. So. Ah, well, he's a friend. Yeah. So, like, uh what was it like working with him, the Cusack? How cool was that? Well, he wouldn't take credit for it, but I'm convinced he got me the job. So I told you about, I, I've thrown these words out iconic. My friend Donnie, God rest his soul in Chicago, 
He was like, uh, oh God, you wouldn't get this reference to Troy. He was a, a central, interesting character in Chicago in my life and with people's lives between sports people and, uh, you know, hockey and Michael Jordan would come there. But Cusack was his friend. And uh, I met John through him. So we would hang out and this and that. And there was a couple of things he got me involved in. But this, this him and Billy Bob um, on that thing, Ice Harvest, was such a great experience. John was the type of guy who would say, oh, wait, I think I'm blocking Mike's close. I'm blocking Mike's angle here. You know, that's, that's how aware he was. He's got this, I don't want to say weird shyness, you know, uh, uh, in public. You know, he, he would, grew up in the theater. I guess Jeremy Piven's dad were, and the parents were famous then. And he was at the theater. And God, he's helped so many people. And I know, I mean, Jeremy, uh, and I think basically grew up, but I know that you'd see Jeremy show up in so many of his films. I opened uh, up for Jeremy one night. Did you really? Yeah, he, he, I guess, I guess they had like a, I guess him and Cusack had a fight that I didn't know about because Jeremy yeah, Piven yeah. didn't, they it didn't, he, magazine, yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't like my, my jokes. And cause like, I, I was like, I was ah. like, so I was like, uh, I'm the John Cusack of stand up comedy. I just say anything. And then I was like, sometimes uh, it's good. And sometimes I wish I was better off dead. And now I'm opening up for Jeremy Piven, and you call that serendipity. And Jeremy Piven he didn't like that at all. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's tremendous. Well, how about, um, you know, in our lunch, uh, the stories are saying, not that I'm trying to be mysterious to people uh, here, but there's a bunch of stories. But John was always super kind to me. I haven't seen him in a couple of years when Donnie passed away, but he, he would actually call me. What's going on with Donnie? That, that would, I'd be the guy, you know, and. John is, uh, I know he has an active political life too. And uh, also, uh, yeah, I mean, he goes all over the world. And this, and he's, I think uh, he's a genius. I think he's, um, he's also uh, a writer. And he, like, yes, a lot of his films that he does, he rewrites his own dialogue to make it fit his need. And uh, a lot of people don't like give uh, artists that credit when they're taking a writer's own point of view and he's tweaking it. it for the character and the story spade is a lot like that i felt you know where he would understand it not just for himself but for other people and john was very careful also that i came off well other people you know he cared about the whole film and i've had great talks with him and we were going to do we did a pilot that was interesting i just think it was way too controversial for network TV. But he, he always told me he wanted to do a thing about even Chicago politics wanted me to play him. We'd go to Cub games. Yeah, he he's did. always there. That's why I want to yeah. go, I want to move to Chicago so I could like be like, all right, am I going to sit by John? Yeah. <laughs> and what's funny, he's very kind, but he's very shy in public. You know, he you know, pulls the hat down. He's, and he, at least years ago, I mean, I don't know what it's like now for him, but oh my God. It was hard for him to go out in public and be like the Beatles or something like that. You know what I mean? It was like uh, since in Chicago. Yeah. I don't know places, but uh, when you'd be there, like he'd say, okay, Mike, you know, he'd be throwing out the, the, the ball, the first ball, something like that, and the uh, seventh inning stretch, and we'd have this suite, and he'd say, oh, Mike, listen, when we leave, you know, really walk down. I'm going, what? what? Are you serious? But, yeah, I'll listen. Sure enough, oh, my God, he's got his hat down. People are, Wah! You know, Man. people – 
I'm different, approachable. I'm a character guy or dumb and dumb, a good fellows of people feel they can talk to me. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, but it's really some, he's like, uh, he's one of those people that I've been with that I say, like, whoa, you know, people, you know, so it was hard. We'd come to Stanley's and we'd have to go to a back room because, or, you know, there'd be different people I met from. Uh, got his friend. And, oh, God, different. A lot of interesting people. We'll, we'll have to cover that. But, yes, I think he's brilliant, yeah. And yeah. always very kind to of me, very uh, very interesting, very knowledgeable reading about world events, this and that. And him and D.B. Sweeney are great friends. And they, from what I hear, they're on polar opposites when they discuss, but they're friends, but they think a little differently about things, I guess. I met, I met Cusack because he what he does is he goes around – cities and he plays a movie and he does a q a and stuff at oh theaters. okay and i met him there and like um this is why he might have a restraining order on me i don't know but like uh i was like uh he's my hero you know and like I, i've always wanted to interview him and my dad says that probably will never happen but i still in my heart believe it will oh, one of these so, days maybe we'll make it happen he gave me his assistant's number and his assistant never picks up but anyway wow. so so, like, I, I texted all these questions, and John's mic'd, right? And he's like, this Keith Reza has a lot of questions. And, <laughs> like, it's a sold-out theater, you know? And uh, he was just so funny because all his answers on the questions, he was just so nice. And then uh, he said, uh, "Give let tell uh, Keith Reza to come to the back for a VIP, and I'll take a photo with him. So I got, I got, I got a photo with him, and... I was like, hey, I would love to interview you on my podcast. And he's like, here's my assistant's number. We'll make it happen. That was three years ago. But, I mean, I still, in my heart, feel it will happen someday, you know? Yeah, and it's been a few years since I talked to him because he kind of went off different places. And it, it might, not that he needed only me. He, When he was concerned about Donnie's health, he would call me and this and that. But it's funny. I haven't been there. I'm not living there. And my connection, I go in there and see mostly family, grandchildren, but I still have friends there. But a lot of times the focus, we would hook up at this place, famous place, Stanley's, that Donnie owned and doesn't exist anymore. And I get messages still from people like, ah, it's, I went by Stanley's. And so I, I know when the time is right, I'll see John again. But I have well, a Make feeling. sure you put in a good word for me. Say, oh, I got it. I got it. I feel funny that I told that... Uh, uh, story about my brother, but actually it's a good thing. I mean, he really lived such a uh, very uh, vibrant, interesting life, and I thought it was a blessing at the end. There's a lot of things happened. To, we had this great funeral, just a, a diverse few guys and Vietnam veterans, but the long hair saluting, and it was like a very small thing, you know, and uh, the day after was a, uh, a massive blizzard. My wife just made it back to operate California, different friends. And I stayed with my one of my best friends in the world, uh, Brian Rose, Captain Cranky, who works, coaches with me, coaches me and acting, directing, and he's an actor in his own right. And it was a very special time. And to put that in a film, I felt was an homage. So I don't, and my friend Esther coached me on that, just told me about the ritual and maybe in even some other cultures, uh, it's a ritual, but um, it was really interesting. So I'm, that's, I'm blown away that your mom picked that up. Uh, yeah, that was my choice with the director. That wasn't in the script. 
Mike, I hate to be rude, but I did tell my sister I'd take her out to lunch. Uh, where, great. where can the folks find you and support you? Cameo, Twitter? Cameo, you know what? I should break down, especially now that I'm getting on the producer. I should break down and get Instagram, right? But uh, uh, Cameo, geez. I, I feel like, yeah, I just hate to ask people to spend money on. Yeah, Cameo, yeah, it's not that much. Yeah, I could, uh, that's the best way. And I will work on maybe breaking down and getting a uh, an Instagram at least, right? So yeah. I can shit that. But you, um, remember the we got to because we got to set up a lunch now. Definitely. Thank you I have so a few much. Places, gonna, you know, in Tuscan gonna, Market that are fabulous. Yeah. All right. I'll go there. I'll, I'm going to book you on Cameo right now. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. It was such an honor. And likewise. You, you really made my day. I really appreciate well, likewise. it. Likewise. And you're a great interviewer, by the way. Oh, thank you, Mike. You great job. And what else can we do? We didn't uh, – we, we did it all. Okay. We we'll can have do this. you back. Yes. Gladly. <laughs> all right. Have a great day, Mike. Thank well, you so great much. Great job. Yes. All right. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there. www.stereo.com slash Keith and on Cameo, www.cameo.com slash Keith If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it, and we'll rift with you again soon.